2: Welcome to Oh God, What Now? I'm Dorian Linsky. Uh, on today's show, we have the 12 villains of Christmas. From Miriam Kate and her awful mates to mad-haired racists in the Netherlands. We'll run down our picks for the dirty dozen who made 2023 worse than it needed to be. And in the extra bit for Patreon backers, we're turning off the news for a few minutes to discuss our holiday traditions. Let's meet the panel. First up, it's commentator Alex Andreu. Hello, Alex. Hi, Dorian. On Tuesday, Rishi Sunak was up in front of the liaison committee being grilled by MPs and everything from Rwanda
3: to Israel. How did he get on? Um, Not great. I mean, he's generally speaking better at this sort of thing than he is at anything else. Uh, And this was not a great one for him. I think that the finances of the Rwanda plan have the potential to actually become a huge story. There is clearly a lot of cross-party anger at the idea that the PM can sign us up to a five-year plan, um, the cost of which Parliament cannot even know um, until years after it's already been paid. And his excuse that this is commercially sensitive because apparently he might be talking to other third countries about similar deals. I don't think that makes it better. I think that makes it actually worse. Because it's like, well, how many countries do you do you think you can do deals worth hundreds and hundreds of millions? That we can't even know about before. It's going to be like a dictator bidding war. Well, I mean, you just get
2: various despots around uh, the world. I
3: don't understand. I I just don't understand how he expects Parliament to keep voting for something and places like the Public Accounts Committee to keep approving the value for money of something that they can't know the how much is paid to it. So I think that's going to blow up into a massive row because there was a lot of Tories that were uh, annoyed about it in the Liaisons Committee, as well as Labour people. People like uh, Dame Diana Johnson, Dame Ake Hillier, pursuing it. And they're quite dogged and quite forensic. And then I think the second notable feature was his heated exchange with Alicia Kearns, uh, who is a Conservative, on how he intends to vote at the UN on the motion demanding a sustained humi- humanitarian pause in Israel. And I think that is significant because anything from the opposition would be dismissed as politicking. So its origin being within his own party makes it a much more uncomfortable question that he needs to answer in a much more rational way. And saying that- Did he answer that, it? No, I mean, he kept saying that too many civilians have died but then he kept saying that Israel is free to defend herself. And to me, those things, there is a conflict at some point, right? Some point arrives where what you're doing exceeds what you what you have permission to do. And he seems to be avoiding it at the moment. I mean the the fact that the vote at the UN has been um, postponed, until today, Wednesday, when we're recording, is probably good news. Pro- it probably means they're trying to find some wording that everyone can agree on.
2: Rachel Cunlift is Associate Political Editor at the New Statesman. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Uh, Peter Bone MP has lost his seat after a recall petition following his suspension from the House over allegations of bullying and sexual harassment. He'd already lost the Tory whip. So bang the by-election gong because Wellingborough is going to the polls next year. It is.
0: It's going to be an exciting one.
2: He's taken it very well, isn't he? He's
0: taken it totally well. Yeah, lots of faith in the process. Uh, No complaints at all. No, he sounded (laughs) off about it on Twitter. Um, So the way it works is that if you are suspended for more than 10 days, and the suspension happens when Parliament has to vote on it, so MPs have to vote on it, for more than 10 days, there's a recall petition. And if 10% of your constituents want a by-election, there is a by-election. And those are the rules. And those have that is the established precedent. Uh, but he has said that because just over thirteen percent of his constituents signed the petition and wanted a, a, a by-election, that means that the overwhelming majority, over eighty-six percent of them, didn't, and Probably therefore love him. We should, therefore they <laughs> love him, and, and, and we shouldn't. <laughs> we shouldn't have one, which is kind of not like just because someone didn't sign the petition doesn't mean that they wanted to, to, to keep him. And obviously, if you really believed that, you could fight the seat and see and actually have an election to, to see, but he will not be the candidate. But he,
2: the rules are the rules and he respects the rules of British democracy No, as opposed to the uh, <laughs> European Union. <laughs> I, I, so... think,
3: I think we should think carefully about possibly banking this logic. I quite like it, for for example, when it comes to things like Brexit, because it means that 27 million people Obviously, loved being a member of the
0: EU. Right? Anyone who doesn't vote
2: agrees with me. Yeah. Is, I think, the policy.
0: So, we're going to have a by election. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a by election that um, the Conservatives, like, probably should win in normal times because he's got a majority of 18,000. They've held the seat since 2005. But None of the Conservatives I spoke to you think they're going to win it. They're all like, oh God, not another one. <laughs> um, and obviously majorities of 19,000, 20,000, 24,000 have been overturned in the last year. And we've probably got um, another one coming up as well yeah. with, uh, I've just suddenly forgotten, Scott Benton, Scott, Scott Scott Benton, Benton yeah. who obviously is, has um, been found to have broken parliamentary lobbying rules and, and sleaze rules. And it just seems like these are coming up more and more often. <laughs> so um, we don't know exactly when the general election is going to be, but there will be at least one by-election in the first few months of the year to look forward to.
3: I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to it. Very <laughs> Maybe much. there won't be a general election. Maybe we'll just keep having a series of <laughs> endless by elections until everyone is <laughs> replaced. Yeah, well, just like a the, war of attrition.
0: The, the ship of Theseus approached the <laughs> Parliament. Yes. Pretty
4: long by election. Yes. Just
2: one long by election. Matt Green is a comedian enjoying his Christmas break before embarking on a national tour in the new year. Hello, Matt. Hello. The Colorado Supreme Court has barred Donald Trump from running for president in the state under its insurrection clause, because he tried to do an insurrection. The conservative-dominated US Supreme Court will doubtless overturn the decision as soon as it gets the chance. Um, In the meantime, there's some disagreement about, obviously, the the judgment and so on. I wonder if such legal obstacles do him a favor by painting him as a victim of the deep state and all that.
4: Yeah, I mean, it is the first time that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment has been used against someone who's a presidential candidate because he's the first presidential candidate to have engaged in insurrectional rebellion I think um and it's actually it's quite interesting because it's a part of this attempt by a group called free speech for people they're a group who've been trying this in lots of other states it hasn't worked in other states but the Colorado court did actually uphold it and i think yeah i i i'll be honest the problem with this whole thing is that it's a measure, I think, of how depressingly predictable everything is at the moment in politics. As soon as I read it this morning, I just thought, I wonder how he's going to get out of this one. That it's, there's, there, was no, there was not a tiny part of me thinking, wow, he's yeah. maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe he's actually come up against something that could stop him. Every time he gets involved in a, uh, in a legal problem, um, his poll ratings go up, his donations go up. He was actually kind of neck and neck with Ron DeSantis until the... Um, the first legal case was brought against him last year, and then or earlier this year, and now suddenly he's massively ahead. So, yeah, it feels like whatever happens, he becomes sort of invulnerable to this kind of thing.
2: Well, I hate to follow Godwin's law, but I've um, I've been researching uh, Nazi Germany recently, and um, generally when... bad. Do we feel mm-hmm. it was generally bad? Ge- haven't there were, changed.
0: There were very fine people on both. <laughs> haven't,
2: <laughs> haven't changed my mind. Still yeah, pretty good, good. pretty disapproving. Yeah, um, but. You know, the the Beer Hall Putsch in 1923 and Hitler went to jail um, and the party was banned and so on. Mm. But he used this to show that, like, see, I must have a point because they're out to get me. Mm. And then anytime he was banned from a, a German state from speaking, they would do have posters with the uh, thing that you still see now among GB news hosts of the man with the tape, Hitler with tape over his mouth. Yeah, Like, oh, no, why have I been silenced? Mm. And so it is that thing that, that anytime you, you like literally break the law, yeah. if something is done about it, that sort of helps you politically because it's like they're out to get me. Yeah. It's a very so, hard sort of thing to, to, to fight.
4: And, and I think there's a, there's it works too, the analogy, because um, if my history is correct, it was also uh, very much a kind of sympathetic judge uh, in after the Beer Hall, Beer Hall putsch who gave him a, quite a light sentence. And he could have. Th- Thrown away the key and, and said, "Right, that's it. You're away, you know. You're locked up for 25 years." But he didn't, and it feels like exactly the same thing is happening with um, th- his party. That essentially the only people who can really stop Trump really are the Republican Party. They could stop him running for candidate. They could yeah. have impeached him and actually voted for the impeachment. At a point where his ratings were pretty low and i think everyone around the world would have seen that as a really responsible thing to do instead they let him get away with it and you know here we are now in the streaming era the countdown to christmas number one isn't what it
2: used to be so we've made a chart of our own our 12 biggest villains of 2023 but it's not in ascending order of perfidy because they're all terrible uh, and we couldn't agree (laughs) so we're going to start in the uk and then roam further afield uh, Alex, you kick us off. It's Suella Braverman.
0: Yes. Um, do you have a sound effect for that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> da, da, da. I think it's the sound of like a rally, a very loud <laughs> rally in a football stadium, perhaps. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I haven't really been following what she's been up to. Why Why <laughs> is she so bad?
3: <laughs> I mean, you name it, we could do an entire podcast on Things that Suella Braveman did or said that are absolutely outrageous, from, you know, calling pro-Palestine protesters hate marches, um, the BB Stockholm, the Rwanda plan, the piece of legislation that outlawed protest, um, fighting with the Met Police, um, describing sleeping rough as a lifestyle choice, uh, oh, yeah. the tofu-eating woke karate thing, when she went to America to make a speech that multiculturalism has failed, um, saying that people pretend to be gay in order to gain asylum, she, that she claimed nearly 25 grand in five years for her London wh- house while she was living rent-free with her parents, which is apparently and in, and in my head. not <laughs> against the rules, uh, uh, telling a Holocaust survivor that she won't apologize for the language I've used, to demonstrate the scale of the problem around immigration, um, that dramatic, ridiculous non-resignation letter where she wrote, "I trusted you, but you betrayed me, like it was a soap opera." Um, I mean, I'm probably forgetting
0: a uh, hundred more. The main one for me, which is she
1: standing on a, guide a dog. dog.
3: Yes. <laughs> on a guide dog. A fucking dogs. Take guide dogs. tail. I mean, that is almost comedy villain, right? You can't get more villainous than that. She's like a performance art of villains. But she's gone now. Um, Has she? She might be back. Well, do, you think she'll, do you think she'll be back? Do you I know, mean, not back in government. I but- think what she threatened uh, when she went and, and made that speech in the House of Commons uh, was I, I believe they described it as a shit grid, that they would release one scandalous, horrible thing about Sunak every day, um, an advent calendar of shit, another ally described it <clears> as, <throat> as, that would bring down the government. And I, I have to say, it hasn't really happened. You know, there have been a few things, obviously, but I don't see much coming from the Braveman camp that has destabilized um, Sunak so far in in a more significant way than her resignation did. So my, my sense is that the air is no longer, the wind is no longer in her sails. I don't think the momentum is with her anymore. I think if I were Kemi Badenoch, for instance, I would be quite happy about how her thing is going.
2: Yeah, Rachel, a lot of what Osweiler Brahman has done has been framed not in terms of pure human evil, but in terms of a leadership bid Mm. um, post-election. But as we've seen from, um, from Ron DeSantis, that sometimes the person that everybody's talking about just goes nowhere. Meanwhile, Robert Jenrick, I read has had a new haircut and lost a bit of weight. Oh, yeah. That was a pretty <laughs> he heavyweight bit of political journalism. He's had a glow up. He's had a glow up. <laughs> so, I mean, what are you, what are your feelings about where... where the party is going to be and where Brotherman is going to be.
0: So uh, there's no question that she wants it and has been pitching for the leadership and a lot of her choices over the last year. That speech in America that Alex mentioned, uh, the speech she was the only, well, Michael Gove won as well, but in a kind of different capacity, the only other cabinet minister to go to the National Conservatism Conference, which was a sort of convention, a global convention in in London of quite far right wing views. And she clearly wanted to use her resignation-sacking departure as the springboard for that. And what we've seen is that the momentum really hasn't been behind her. And Robert Jenrick, who was considered quite a moderate and a Sunak ally, when he quit as immigration minister and said, you know, I can't stomach this, everyone kind of went, you know that distracted boyfriend meme? (laughs) It was literally literally that. Um, Meanwhile... You've got Kevin baden who's also sort of pitching for the position of candidate of the right. And I think the really important thing to remember is that the right of the Tory party is not one faction. We heard a lot about how there were five families, which I hate as a mafia <laughs> term, and I really hate that Marc Francois really likes it. Um, but there are different factions that are considered right-wing in different ways, but they don't particularly like each other. They don't particularly agree on a lot of stuff. And a lot of them... For a lot of them, Suella is not their preferred candidate. So I think the the assumption that she would make it to the final two as someone to take over from Rishi Sunak and then go to the membership, that is looking less and less likely. Well, the
2: right is always... There's always people you're not right-wing enough for. So, Cameron Bednock just announced the guidelines for schools, uh, social transitioning in school, which to me uh, were sort of cruel and, and unworkable, but to many people on the Tory right... were not ing- go far enough. Incredibly soft, because she had not banned social transitioning in schools altogether for the small uh, reason that it's illegal. Um, so, yes, yeah, so when you talk about the Tory right, it's a bit like, well, which right? Which leads me to... Matt. Hello. <laughs> and your choice, it's Miriam Cates um, and her merry friends and the NatCon conference.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, just coming off the back of what... Um Rachel was talking about. I think uh, I have found this year uh, increasingly baffling how many different groups we have to understand who they are, and that every week there's a new one. It feels like they're all groups as well. It's the Common Sense group, the Northern Research group. I'm assuming next year there'll be like the Southern Gut Feelings Gang. Um, the Are You Thinking What We're Thinking? I Bet You Are. Read it on Wikipedia, Absolute Lads Collective. These sort of places. Um, I, th- I think the thing that always annoys me is that they their research, it, they, it's always got the word research in it. It's got the point now, where every time I hear the word research, I think it must be right wing. No, sort of, I don't know where, I don't know where they're getting research from. It feels like it's. I don't know. they're local Weatherstones, essentially. Common sense, as we also know, is also right-wing. Yeah, exactly. Every, every they're just taking all these words that are meant to be kind of neutral, and they're just making them right-wing, essentially. Free speech is another one, obviously.
0: Northern, Northern is right-wing now.
4: Northern is right-wing. <laughs> yeah. The
0: Northern Research Group.
4: The Northern Sense Group. Then all the Northern, I, I, yeah, you could change all of the words in all of those groups, and no one would really know the difference between <laughs> any of them. If somebody came up and called the reasonable
2: moderates group, I would just
4: assume yeah. that it wanted to bring back hanging yeah, exactly. and abortion. You know. <laughs> That's the point, isn't it? And 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 so uh, yeah, if common sense is is what they want, then I I have neither of those things. Um, but yeah, I, I look back at the speech that Miriam Kate's made. I'd forgotten just how sort of mad at the beginning of it is, where she talks about the biggest problem facing this country today, and it's not climate change, it's not Russia, it's not China, it's not. Uh, economic problem and she goes through this whole list of things where you go yeah there are yeah god you're right there's a load of big problems and she says it's babies it's not we're not having enough babies Um, and that's it That you know the Massively obsessed with the sort of fertility rate, she blames she blamed it on cultural Marxism that is systematically destroying our children's souls. Do you know who else was really into people having more babies and didn't like cultural Marxism? <laughs> is, it, is it your friend again? <laughs> it's yeah,
2: yeah, it's yeah. that guy. So,
0: well, I, I went to her well, her fertility <laughs> conference, uh, an event in Parliament. Thank God you said especially... conference
4: event uh, rather than fertility, just like. What well, me know? and
0: Miriam Kate's talking about facility. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I, I totally would discuss it with her. She, <laughs> it's interesting because the graphs that um, they have from different countries of how the birth mm. rate has fallen really mm. are quite terrifying. When you look at the demographics, aging population, mm. what are you going to do when you have far fewer young people and workers supporting people who have increasingly complex and expensive care needs like all of that is a really serious thing. And we had this whole seminar where the researchers were sort of looking at why this might be the case, sort of economic factors. Housing's a big one, obviously childcare is a big one. And then at the end, it was a really interesting session, but somebody asked uh, each of the panellists to come up with like one policy intervention that they thought would help this uh, because one of the things that came out of it was that women are not having as many children as they would like to have mm. because the economic pressures are, are, are too much and I was sitting there going it's obvious it's it's, it's, it's build more houses and make childcare affordable mm. and make uh, employers and businesses uh, have more family friendly policies and she was like oh uh, what we should have is a nationwide Public awareness campaign <laughs> that it's really cool to be a mother, and it should be led by the Princess of Wales. And wow. that was that was her policy suggestion,
4: right? Mm. Well, I'm looking forward to that next year. There's
0: Is that lot... not making you want to have kids right now?
4: Oh, yeah.
2: There's a lot of weird. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. I mean, we talked about the NatCon conference much, a great deal at the time. Yeah. Um, but Miriam, Kate's, and Danny Kruger, that wing of things really freaked me out because they're very religious and a little bit volkish.
4: There's a sort of old-fashioned, very right-wing morality that's kind of masquerading as something modern and different. And uh, as you say, it's all about the graphs. It's all about the... Um, we're just looking at the demographics. But yeah, if you just dig even slightly under the surface, it does feel very, very old-fashioned, very traditionalist in a in the bad way, I think. Um, yeah, Ama- it's- Amazingly, they're not the most right-wing people
2: that we're going to be talking about on today's show. <laughs> right. I think I've found the, on the top trumps uh, of right-wing people, I think I have the winning card, I, which I will play later.
4: I just want to say something about Swada so Brown I just thought about, um, which relates to this. I think we're lucky in this country in this sense that we don't have a sort of presidential system, because I feel like she has huge name recognition. In the country. I think she has a kind of, she does have a certain amount of support um, in the country, but I think it's actually, as, as Rachel's pointed out, it's it's not really working in the Tory party so much anymore. So I think if she she's one of the few people in the current Tory it's party. She's one of the
2: think, problem. She is arguably the least popular politician in the country, though, according to polls.
4: Yeah, but I think that can work to your advantage in a <laughs> weird way. I think being very unpopular is weirdly better than being just sort of somewhere in the middle. I think Uh, better of the British population, Matt. I think
0: there's also a British British electoral point about Miriam Cates, who's obviously become very prominent for all the reasons sort of discussed and quite prominent within the Conservative Party. She is almost certainly going to lose her seat. She's got a majority Mm. of around 7,000. She... I mean, you, you, you never, ne- never make any hard predictions in politics, but um, she is unlikely to be an MP in the next parliament and unless she moves to a different seat. So one of the things about our system is that somebody can be very prominent and exerts mm. power and influence and a couple of thousand constituents can just go, nah.
4: Yeah. Where's the Portillo moment, I can't wait it?
2: for election night. It's going to be like, it's going to be Portillo after Portillo, isn't it? <laughs> um, I might, I'm going to do one now. Now, I hate to attack the British public, but it's the voters of Uxbridge and South Ricelit. All of them. I mean, specifically 495 <laughs> of them. Uh, that was the winning margin of Steve Tuckwell in Boris Johnson's old seat uh, in the July by election. He approached it as a referendum on ULES. Uh, his Labour opponent also didn't like ULES. And then Keir Starmer blamed ULES for the loss um, because I think it's the only by election that Labour. Uh, didn't win, that it thought it might, even though it was the former prime minister's old seat in the home counties. Throwing Sadiq Khan under the bus was pretty grim, but it was Sunak who really ran with it, binning uh, various green policies, not the net zero target, but everything that might get you to the net zero target. And he has just promised brilliantly to reroute uh, almost a quarter of a billion pounds of HS2 money to London Roads but still branded as...
0: A Network North project. Network
2: North project. And it goes, good news, we're going to take all the money for trains to the north and spend it on roads in London. (laughs) That's New North. So I I also feel like I should bring in perhaps some of the the commentators here who misread this very, very slim victory um, in a seat which under normal circumstances Labour would not have been expected to win. Mm as a kind of ringing rejection of ULES and a vote in favour of um, air pollution. So the whole thing was a very regrettable incident. And I think quite a few things would be different had those 495 people, who I hate individually, (laughs) um, just stayed at home or voted for the other guy who
3: also didn't like ULES. (laughs) So how are you doing this, uh, Dorian? Are you doing it by timestamp? Like, is it the... the first 495 to vote that day the last 495 to vote that
2: day i think it's just face so i think it's safer to blame all of the tory voters <laughs> in uxbridge and south riseley okay
3: i'll or go the, with
2: four, that. Or the who, 500
4: Robert, labour voters who didn't turn up who didn't but, turn up yeah who just stayed in bed but they
2: might be listening whereas <laughs> i'm assuming tory voters aren't listening
4: so that i can just be rude
2: about them okay it? rachel yeah, This is one that you actually have personal experience of. I was there. Um, back from the grave, like Marley's ghost, only she hasn't learned anything, <laughs> it's <laughs> Anne Widdecombe. What it, did she say it, in it, your presence?
0: It is Anne Widdecombe, uh, who was a Conservative MP and then was briefly a Brexit Party... MEP? She was, yeah. Um, and so isn't a conservative anymore. And uh, that was a, of a point that she, she sort of made when they were like, oh, yes, you've got the sort of Tories over here. She's not conservative anymore. Um, but this was in May, and it was about the cost of living crisis. And I was on Politics Live with her, and the story was about inflation, particularly food inflation, and how whatever the headline rate of inflation was, uh, it's, it was impacting consumer goods foods and basic foods more than other things. So the price of kind of a Waitrose takeaway meal hadn't gone up by very much, but the price of Basics' own brand of uh, food really had. And they did this little model of uh, a cheese sandwich. So like Basics, white bread, depending on your supermarket, cheese, margarine, sort of how that much had, uh, had um, increased in in cost and kind of went around the panel going, what should the government do about this? And Anne Whittakam's reaction was, well, you don't have the cheese sandwich then, obviously. <laughs> and um, I, I'm in the clip and you can sort of see me go, like Because I'm very used to, I think we're all used to politicians making comments about the reason young people can't buy homes is because they spend too much on Netflix and avocado toast and fancy coffees and the narrative that people here are on benefits, they have flashy TVs or whatever. But this was very specifically about pretty much the most basic meal you can imagine and how it had almost doubled in cost. And her attitude on national TV was, well, we'll just don't eat then. And I, I was sort of trying to press, and there'd been an earlier story as well about infant formula milk and baby food and the number of children who were going hungry at schools. And I sort of made those points to her. And, and she was just like, just don't buy the cheese, don't don't buy the ingredients for the cheese sandwich. Um I don't really know how to how to continue with this because I don't really have a comment on it. That's just <laughs> yeah. what
4: happened. The Anwaridicam diet plan: just don't eat
3: anything. I, quite I, think, like I think I clipped it at the time and put it out, and it went viral, didn't it, Rachel?
0: Yeah, it, it went viral. It was uh, it was one of the Guardian's most read stories at one point. The politics yeah, of you know, it's like, just don't eat
3: cheese.
2: There's I do quite answer. like it though because I think one can perhaps be under the illusion that because the Tory party is currently so awful. As with the Republican Party, that you almost feel like, well, it, it fell from a from a height. From any height. You know. Yeah. And then in the old days, you know, people just wouldn't say outrageous things. And then Anne Whittacombe appears like a revenant. She's a minister. She was she was she was around. Uh, way back when. And and then she just comes back and goes, I too can be tremendously callous. <laughs> it's not just young people who are about to lose their seats. Alex. Yes. I'm, I'm really struck by the fact, and perhaps this says something about the, um, you know, the really feminist advances of the Tory party, that many of the people we're singling out here are um, are women, which I feel a bit bad about, but they are individually bad. Uh, Nadine Doris, famous for politics and fiction, and has merged the two with her book, The Plot.
3: Yes. <laughs> I mean, Nadine Doris, I, I really think she has been quite consequential this year. Um probably more than any other year, even when she was a Secretary of State. I don't think she influenced politics as much as she did this year. Um, Remember, she resigned and then refused to actually resign. So for months, we had the spectacle of not knowing whether she would put the actual paperwork through so that the people in her constituency could vote for someone and have some actual fucking representation in the House of Commons. Her attendance record was atrocious anyway. Um, she became a presenter on GB News way before um, she resigned. Passionate admirer and defender and enabler of Boris Johnson, obviously. Um, and I just, I genuinely think she's one of the people who either has zero self uh, understanding or is taking the piss and i can never I, tell I, which no i'm pretty sure it's the first one i'm not sure you know like today she today she oh, tweeted is it's is the
0: christmas card thing
3: no today she tweeted to say that it's it's appalling how um, you know deals are done in back rooms and this basically uh, means our democratic process is a joke. And it's like, you are someone who literally flounced off because your mate promised you in a backroom deal that they would make you a legislator for life. And yeah, you're talking no about backroom deals. Well, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure. The, the, the book itself has actually provided one real story which I think has legs Um, and it's about Downing Street trying to influence the BBC through Downing Street, trying to influence who was appointed the head of Ofcom. I think there are questions to answer on that one. And- Oh yeah, Alan Rusbridge has been running with that. Yeah, and both Downing Street and BBC, their answers so far have created really more doubt around this issue than settled it. So hats off to Nadine Doris. Well is what you're no, saying. No, I'm not I'm not saying that at all. I think I just think she's I mean, hats off to her, I guess, if the objective of being in public life is to stir shit. She's a fantastic shit stirrer. There um, we go. But but I don't consider that a huge compliment. And then there's this short passage from her book that I would like to read about Ian Duncan Smith, which I think in itself, qualifies her for top 12. He looked at me through narrowed, bright blue eyes. Not for the first time, I thought to myself, he was probably really quite good looking in his day. I. Wow. I Making she did. He used
0: to write. She used to write romance. Romance. Yeah, she yeah. still does. Yeah. She still does. Yeah. yeah. Just making the quiet. me
3: think of Ian Duncan Smith in that way, even for a <laughs> fraction of a second. The quiet man is, man is turning
2: thing. up the sexy volume. <laughs> well, you mentioned GB News. Um, lots to say. Uh, we're going to start with Lawrence Fox, whose uh, misogynist rant uh, about journalist Ava Evans received the most Ofcom complaints of the year. So congratulations to Lawrence. It took down his uh, GB News career, Dan Wootton's, and the Reverend Calvin Robinson's. Is he a reverend or is he a
0: well, fake? Well, I actually know about this. Do you? Want, do
2: you? Go on. <laughs>
0: okay, so he uh, is not anything to do with the Church of England and the Church of England rejected him, saying that he basically wasn't appropriate to be a Church of England cleric. (laughs) Uh, And he was associated with uh, an American church. Now I think it's a different one. Um, And basically you don't need, like it's not a regulated profession. There are lots of different churches, there are lots Mm. of different sects, branches of Christianity. And he has found one that will accept him and has has chosen to dress in that particular way. But I do like it when people call him a cosplaying vicar.
3: He's basically like those people that get a certificate online so they can marry their friends.
0: Well, well my, my, my cat has been ordained by the Universal <laughs> Church of Life. Uh, the very Reverend Cleo hepzibar uh, is available for all your spiritual needs. I'm t- t- totally not joking about this. Uh, but the Church of England is sort of the definition of a broad church. So if they refuse to accept yeah. him, that says something.
2: Well, GB News is a very broad church. Uh, every, everything from the right to the radical right to the far right are welcome. I think the main, the, the main point I'm going to make, because we've talked to, about it quite a lot over the year, is that I don't think that it can be both things. It cannot be a sort of a home for former and sitting Tory MPs and crackpot city with uh, outright conspiracy theorists like Neil Oliver, um, Calvin Robertson before he flounced off, Quite a lot of stuff, which is sort of getting into like great replacement theory territory, and um, that terrible guy Ben Leo. I'm not sure if you saw that clip where he was just sort of going, "Yeah, there's not, there's too many, you know, not white people in London." And then, kind uh, of say the-
0: how much I enjoyed how uncomfortable that yeah.
2: made me. <laughs> one of the hosts said. I can't remember exactly what he said. I mean, it was ra- it was racist, obviously. Um, and then uh, so another GB News presenter went, "Well, what about what about me then?" And Ben Leo did the classic kind of, "Oh, not you, mate. Yeah, You're yeah. all right. You can stay." So on the one hand, it's sort of I, I think it should just be I suppose considered as grotesque as much of the content it it pumps out is the fact that uh, respectable people go on there as guests, the fact that it's okay for MPs to have shows. I think just whitewashes all this other stuff. I don't think it
4: should be allowed to be both. And Ofcom keep upho- upholding complaints against yeah. them, and keep saying, and the, and the punishment is, we hope that next time they'll think about that a bit more. And every time, like, but they didn't do it last time. Is, mm. if there's no, if there's no actual kind of sanctioned, then what's the point of having off No, they're just going to keep doing the thing. Yeah.
0: I would just like to say in defence of G V News, genuinely that there are a lot of particularly young journalists and young producers who get their break there because it's really hard to get into journalism and they get really good experience with live reporting and I, I say this knowing people who, who work there and who find it very difficult when they are doing kind of normal journalism and then someone like Lawrence Fox sort of comes and says that all this anti-vax content and it makes it like a lot harder for them in, in their careers and you could say well don't work there but there's not like a plethora of That's good That's what the station is,
2: job. it makes no bones about it and it uses the other stuff like Fox News has always done. It uses the other stuff as to give this little sort of veneer of respectability when its real p- purpose is to pump out uh, extreme right politics, bigotry and conspiracy theories. And so all of that stuff, and I know what you mean about it's hard to get a job or whatever, but that, that, they are the whitewash department. They are the respectable cover for what it's really there for. Now, part two of our villains of the year. Uh, we are moving beyond uh, basically the Tory Party, looking further afield. Rachel, start us off with uh, former comedian, YouTube host, former best-selling author, and alleged sex criminal Russell Brand.
0: Yeah, I would find Russell Brand very difficult to categorise as well because it's kind of comedy, but, you know, in recent years it's sort of been leading an alternative political movement, big on anti-vax, big on big pharma, has a weird cult following. And, yeah, in September, the Sunday Times and Channel 4 together ran this incredibly powerful joint investigation where they had reports from five women uh, documenting accusations of rape, sexual assault, emotional abuse spanning 10 years, basically the height of his mainstream political career Um, and the details are really quite harrowing it was an amazing piece of journalism it took a journalist involved I think two years to piece it all together uh, talking to the women involved, to their friends, to their families to lawyers, to his representatives and I never particularly liked his comedy I always found that there was a bit of a Edge to it that I found very distasteful. Other people enjoyed it. I'm not saying that if you enjoyed it, you were in any way um, sort of supporting this. But it's one of those examples of someone who this seems to have been a massive open secret in the entertainment world and so many people since have said that they knew about it or they heard about it and there are clips now of people talking about Russell Brand and you something is almost said or it's hinted at and you're like everyone, everyone knew. So really I think this is actually a a hero's story the heroes being the journalists who who, um, pushed this forward and the editors and legal experts who who worked with them and enabled them to publish it Um, I guess the sad thing is it doesn't really seem to have dented his popularity at all his fan club
2: that's what i wonder because he's still doing his youtube
0: and making a lot of money from that well
2: yeah but i noticed that he's like um he is now um punting um gold and silver he's become a gold bug Mm -hmm. um which is the classic sign of a crank and i thought maybe he's not getting the advertising he used to if it's now these kind of quite shady like the world is unstable you know, the Armageddon may be around the corner. Why not invest in solid, precious metals that you can keep in your bunker? So something seems to have... He's definitely... That, that, that sort of semi-mainstream legitimacy he had has gone. Mm-hmm. And yet there's this whole world, like you say, where you just... You don't need that and you can continue to make money and have a, a large audience.
0: I think and it's there's no both. legal
2: proceedings yet.
0: No, there are um, a police. There is a police investigation. Mm. Obviously, we should say he denies all of this, mm. um, and there, there have been more people coming forward since that report went out. And I think it, I think it can be both because he was veering down the conspiracy theory route before this story broke sort of anti-vax stuff, anti-politics. They're not telling you the truth. He sort of speaks directly to his subscribers. You know, you and I, we get it in our little cult. Like, like it's all the classic hallmarks of a conspiracy theory um, and this idea that people, particularly on the internet, can build followings as as gurus, essentially, mm. and I can, I, Russell Brand, can help fix your life. And um, yes, the, any sense of mainstream veneer has obviously gone completely. But I think for people who do find him very... Uh, appealing and charismatic and almost magnetic the allegations similar to what we were talking about with Trump at the start of the show any allegations against him any action against him is proof that there is a sort of deep state matrix like conspiracy that's all out to get him so I don't think you're going to change those people's minds
2: yeah no I uh... The independent media, of course, which people were sort of celebrating on the left and has created some opportunities on the left, but it does mainly seem to benefit people like Russell Brand or Tucker Carlson, been from Fox News and now setting up his own network. It's like as so many things about the internet. They were like, it's going to be brilliant. There's going to be all this freedom. And then it didn't quite work out for, for, in the way that I would have liked.
4: I think I think in the comedy world as well, there's a bit of a sense of... Slight kind of anticlimax afterwards, as well, because as you say, th- that had been very much an open secret, I think, uh, and lots of people who had certainly heard things, and it's all rumor, nobody ever knows, it's obviously all denied. So, you know, you can't ever say that this was something that people, most people, knew for certain, obviously. But I think also there was a bit of a sense of maybe this is the beginning of something. Maybe this is the beginning of more people being...
0: Comedy's meaty. Yeah, exactly. Right, but And it, it hasn't, hasn't really happened no. like
4: that. And, you know, within the comedy world, within Facebook groups and things and WhatsApp groups, I'm sure, you know, there has been a number of other names, probably not quite as well-known names, people saying, well, what about this person? What about this person? These, you yeah, I've heard a bit of it. But as you say, the problem is you need a huge amount of time and effort and money and um, and also legal... Uh, sort of help to be able to put an investigation like this together. And unfortunately, most of the other people involved are not quite as successful and famous and therefore no one's going to spend the time investigating mm. them. So it's a funny, it's a weird situation where only the very most famous people who are accused of anything like this will ever get that amount of attention. Uh, and they're the ones who could probably survive it. Yeah. And whereas, uh, you know, there's lots of people around, you know, sort of the middle or the bottom layers of these sorts of industries who can get away with stuff for a long time. Alex, uh, Gert Wilders is yours. Is that how you say his name? Gert Wilders,
2: if you want to be. Gert Wilders, um, the funny haired uh, far right Dutchman. And now, a month after the election in the Netherlands, there is still no new prime minister, um, which certainly tells you something about proportional representation. Why have we chosen him to represent uh,
3: the far right in
2: 2023?
3: Well, because, I mean, you could have gone for Javier Millet, you could have gone for Georgia Meloni, but he's very much part of a movement, as it were. The, the reason I chose him is because I think the, the, the story in the Netherlands is particularly a, a relevant one to us, um, because it is a story of disunity. Um, the previous government fell apart because the coalition couldn't agree on what to do about immigration. Two parties wanted stricter immigration rules, two parties disagreed. And so, and that was very much an issue that Hert Wilders was feeding into the press. So he dragged them onto his agenda effectively, and then they fell apart because they couldn't find a solution to something that is actually quite unsolvable for a mature Western economy that needs the labor, um, you know, turning the population against immigration is a horrible thing because the only way you solve it is by hurting the economy. So having done that, he then succeeded in becoming the, the, the sort of top um, person in that election, again, because there was absolutely no coalition on the other side. So he only got 23% of the vote. But that was enough because everyone else got 18, 12, 13, you know, there's loads of parties in the teens, basically.
2: Do you know another far-right leader who uh, <laughs> who thrived electorally because of a disunited opposition?
3: Yes, uh, that um, guy again, is it? Is that, that guy. guy is, is that, that what that we call a callback? <laughs> the dude with a tape. Um, uh, but, but I mean, the situation is just utterly fascinating in the, uh, in the Netherlands. And I would suggest to anyone to go and read What is going on now? They've appointed a a person called an informateur, uh, who basically investigates the possibility of a coalition deal and reports to Parliament. It's a fascinating, fascinating process. But um, the reason I wanted to choose Het Wilders, the other reason is that recently, I found out something that absolutely floored me and my apologies if you all know this and the listeners all know this but hert wilders is part indonesian and he dyes his hair blonde and wears blue contact lenses to erase the features of that heritage which i i, I it i just think it's an extraordinary thing to find about someone so overtly racist and xenophobic that, you know, they have this internalised just loathing that means they try and make themselves Aryan.
4: Extraordinary.
3: Did you all know that? Did no, 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 or, no. What, or is it as but I think... stunning to you as it was to me when I yeah. found out? Yeah. Yeah. And if that's, I, I think... Yeah, I mean,
4: I think Quite if that's, extraordinary, common, is, if that's it, knowledge, it, it, if there's something that's well known, I, st- I find that bizarre that yeah, his party has yeah, no problem with that. Or, it, it,
3: it leaves yeah, but, me but just a
4: Braverman
2: like is a xenophobic racist. <laughs> yes. It's not, <laughs> yes, you know,
4: yeah.
2: um, it's, that's, it's no obstacle. You can come from any background.
3: I know, but if Zoella Braverman came out tomorrow with blonde hair and blue contact lenses, sure, you, no, that no. would be notable, right? No, that, w- that would be a, a departure.
2: Matt, this is actually a good news story wrapped in a villain. Uh, Luis Rubiales, remind people who that guy is.
4: Yeah, I I just found him kind of fascinating because he was one of the few examples of uh, a villain. And I think the next one I might talk about similarly in a different way, um, who kind of got a comeuppance. Um, he was, we all remember him, I think, as the, the head of the Spanish FA, who decided that the medal ceremony um, of the... Uh, World Cup where Spanish women's team beat the English women's team uh, in the final. That was the moment he would just kiss all the players and like grab them and pick them up and swing them around, And there was various touching and groping and things. And at the time, I I remember saying, it it reminded me of um, those guys who use their girlfriend's graduation ceremony as the moment to propose, that they've decided that they're going to make her special moment about them, basically. But obviously a much worse version of that because this wasn't a proposal, but something much worse than that. And he also grabbed his crotch and was sort of pointing at people at the time. Uh, it's just come out, actually, the FIFA report into the whole incident's come out and apparently it wasn't just the Spanish players. Apparently he was also um, kissing and cupping and stroking the face of one of the England players <laughs> as well. So he was pretty yeah, pretty full on, kind of in that weird sort of sexual assault mode um, for the whole of that. that that moment. But this obviously blew up at the time, became this huge issue um, the, the player who he kissed on the mouth didn't want this to happen and he immediately came out and rubbished her and dismissed it and then he sort of apologised and then he did a press conference where everyone thought he was going to resign but he didn't he came out and he said five times I am not resigning and then his mum went on hunger strike and it was <laughs> That just, was my favourite bit of the story, story. Yeah. It, The whole thing just became this mad sort of international I was reading back through it today and just reminding myself of how mad this process was that it just yeah. got more and more insane and but then, then there fe- was
2: the man manager of the team. Yeah. Who was also despite the fact that you know this was the World Cup winning team, he was kind of like an unpopular misogynist that, yeah. that none of the team liked. Like the whole thing.
0: Well, some of them had astonishing. Some uh players had refused to play while he was manager before any of this yeah. started yeah. because he had a reputation for sort of sexism and misogyny uh, and they didn't want to play. And that got sort of swept under the rug during the yeah. during the matches because it was sort of well, space victory. They are winning, yeah. It yeah. yeah.
2: was extraordinary the way that they not only won the World Cup but also sort of... Reformed to some extent. (laughs) Yeah, well, he, you know, he got he
4: got sacked, and I didn't. I hadn't realised this, but it became a whole movement in Spain. Um, It became their sort of Me Too movement, essentially. Um, Apparently, it came. It started with a tweet from a very famous uh, Spanish uh, women's footballer, one of the most decorated individual um, women's footballers in the world, um, Alexia Patelis, and she tweeted, "Unacceptable! This is unacceptable. Say Acabo. It's over." Mm. And that became the sort of me Too, the hashtag. Hashtag, say, Acabo. Um And then loads of other players came out in support and it became a kind of movement across Spain. Uh, he was banned by FIFA from football. Um, and He's then, now
2: selling gold. Yeah, on probably. I'm assuming he does. That's
4: the thing. Yeah. This is the thing. It feels like... And, the, and my favourite little sort of detail about this is that FIFA banned him the Spanish um, team banned, you know, he was basically banned from football forever. He still hasn't really apologised. He's still sort of saying it wasn't, you know, I, I, it wasn't as a big a deal and everything. I hope his mum has had a cheese sandwich. Yeah, I think so. She, she went on hunger strike for, I think, a day and a half and then stopped
0: because she was, <laughs> hunger, she that's was hungry. That's just a diet. Yeah.
4: <laughs> that's not a hunger strike. And that's just, that's just forgetting not to not eat a for hunger a couple strike.
3: of days. It's not snacking, basically. No.
2: Yeah, exactly. People on amphetamines that have done that. The
4: only person I could find, though, who came out in support of him at the time was this is the last um uh, line on an article i read about was um woody allen Came out at the time and oh, said, Oh, well, that's
0: all right then. Come on, it's
4: just a kiss. Come on, people should be allowed to express affection to each other in public. And I did not feel like, Woody, come on.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> no, now, now all I've got in my head is it started out with the kiss <laughs> and it ended up like this. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that, that, would, that should be the title <laughs> of the <laughs> autobiography. <Senor Breitza>. Yeah.
3: going <laughs> to tell us now that Hitler also snogged some athlete.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't know that about Jesse Owens at the 1936 Olympics. <laughs> If he, if he, you know, if he groped him, everything could have been very different. Yeah. Uh,
2: so I think that this might be the most hair-raising right winger of the lot. Uh, Mike Johnson, mm-hmm. as his name suggests, uh, previously a, a rather sort of dull, anonymous man, um, until fifty-one-year-old congressman from Louisiana replaced Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. It was a big old. A big old shit show where Kevin McCarthy was ousted, and then they couldn't agree on a replacement because of all the, the factions, the five families, I guess, of the Republican Party. And basically, Mike Johnson won because nobody really was following him. They just didn't, didn't know who he was. Who <laughs> was. Probably mixed him up with another Mike Johnson uh, that they knew at school or a footballer. Um, thought it was any- Michael
4: Johnson, the, uh, the runner, who was quite good. It could so, be that. Yeah.
2: Um, Anyway, he particularly opposes the minimum wage taxes, social security, affordable health care and aid to Ukraine. He is also a fanatical Christian conservative, uh, a climate denier, um, who says that in the Bible, it's your duty to take dominion of the earth and subdue it. By coincidence, he's received uh, $340 million in donations from oil and gas companies. He also presumably believe very much in the Bible. Uh, He blames abortion, which he opposes in all circumstances, for school shootings, so when you tell a generation of people that life has no value, no meaning, that it's expendable, then you do wind up with school shooters. However, he also blames evolution for school shooters. says <laughs> so people say, how can a young person go into their schoolhouse and open fire on their classmates? Because we've taught a whole generation, a couple generations now of Americans, there's no right or wrong. It's about survival of the fittest and you evolve from the primordial slime. I mean, that's not quite... What the theory of evolution says, mm-hmm. it's probably not to blame uh, for school shootings. Um,
4: but he does believe the Earth is six
2: thousand years old.
4: Anyway, also it's a bit <laughs> it's a bit rich for someone to complain about the survival of the fittest from someone who wants to abolish free healthcare. I would say because that's what he, he's, he's all about—the survival of the fittest.
2: He's about all of the right-wing things that you can possibly think of. He doesn't like, obviously, doesn't like immigration, and try to overturn the 2020 election. But he did at least not blame that for
4: school shootings and very much didn't he start his term by doing prayers or something on the you know in that in a very sort of church and state together thing there which, was a lot of stuff that came out after he'd been made house
2: speaker
0: that you really think maybe should have come out before yeah.
2: there was no vetting it was literally such a mess so they were just like this boring looking guy <laughs> with glasses with a boring name well, the,
0: the one that we hate slightly less than we hate the others yeah. and yeah
2: uh, who turns out to be as lunatic a Republican as one can imagine. Mm. And it does remind you that most of people go, oh, you know, Trump, what has Trump done to the Republican Party? It's like guys like this are pretty common in the Republican Party and have far more sort of lunatic beliefs than Donald Trump, who basically believes in himself and mm. power.
4: Well, it's a bit like. It's not full on handsmaid's tale. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bit like the Tory party um, since 2017, 2019, that it has been purged of all of its more mm. sort of centrist, leftist people. So anyone that, if you just pick. I find this all the time. I, I'll see a new MP on, on telly, a new minister who's just been appointed. And I think, oh, I want to hit this one. Oh, they're mad as well. Like it, it, it takes seconds to kind of realise it. I should apologise
2: to any listeners called uh, Mike or Michael <laughs> Johnson. It's not a boring name. It's just uh it's it's hard it's it's maybe not as striking a name as some
4: in politics. It sounds like you just got an email from Michael Johnson when he said that. I do I do feel like I'm probably I've just basically been going on and on about how terrible yeah. this name is it's a great p- Patreon. it's a
2: backers. It's a good solid <laughs> name. Uh Matt yes. we have here another uh so good solid name Yevgeny Prigozhin. Um Remind us. This is quite early in the year. Obviously, his year started strong. Yeah, uh, has not ended well.
4: Yeah, the last few or months ended early. Yeah, the last few <laughs> months he's barely made of uh, made an appearance. He's really, yeah, he's really kind of lost momentum. He has dropped off. Um, Wh- why? Why did his star fall? Well, I think I think probably it's fair to say that he's the winner of the fuck around and find out prize
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> of uh, of twenty twenty three. You know, he was the name that we all had to learn how to say. Um, and spell. And spell. And you know, <laughs> is it Yevgeny? Yevgeny? Yev, you know, Prigozhin and um, Also, the head of the group whose name, again, I never know how to say. Is it Wagner Group? Is it Wagner Group? Is it Wagner Group? I, I, I've never worked it out. Um, but he was, you know, he was the head of the Wagner Group. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Um, he was the creator of the internet research company. Another <laughs> use of the word research, <laughs> which is bad. It's bad. Um, Which sounds good, doesn't it? The Internet Research Company. And in fact. Do they research the Internet? Yeah, it's great. The Northern Internet Research Company. Um, Basically, a massive troll farm. They were responsible for many of the. uh, sort of various dodgy things happening in the 2016 election in the US. Um, and he, yeah, he led an armed mutiny back in June against Putin and then mysteriously, almost totally coincidentally died in a plane crash just two months later. Oh, that it, was, it was luck.
0: weird though. It's, the whole thing was weird. I was having a picnic in the park and we were getting a bit tipsy. And one of my friends was like, oh, oh, there's a coup against Russia and Putin. And we're like, okay, we'll definitely check in with that. We're going <laughs> to carry on with our picnic. And then, like, at 7 p.m., I checked it again. It's like, oh no, it's over. It's like, I missed it. I missed the coup. But it was this bizarre thing that he seems to have just like, spontaneously decided to march on Moscow. And I don't know very much about Russian geopolitics. There's this thing that happens where something happens on Twitter and suddenly everyone is an expert on Russian geopolitics. <laughs> and I, I am not. But I think I would have been able to tell you that if you are going to launch a military coup against Vladimir Putin, it's... Y- y- you win or you die, yeah. right? You, you, you come at the king, you better not miss. It's it, it's that. So what it's not like,
2: we... well, I gave it a shot. Yeah. That's
1: literally yeah. what it was, You've got though. to give me
2: credit.
0: <laughs> and then he went off. to... Oh ah,
2: well, back to work.
0: <laughs> he went off to Belarus, and there was this idea that like he and Putin had come to some kind of deal, and it was all going to be fine. It was never all going it, to be fine. It was. I
2: was very much mixed emotions because it was very much the worst person you know made just made a great point yeah. meme, wasn't it? Because you kind of feel like anyone who's going to bring down Putin must have something going
4: for them oh, and no, then of course oh, you no, look into the, him and night. it's like <sighs> yeah. i don't know yeah i don't want him near the nuclear button in any way at all yeah. i missed this it thing. is wagner
3: by the way matt it is wagner yeah okay. because because its first commander utkin was a great admirer of anyone anyone uh, the Hitler. Nazi well, yeah, guy, i was gonna say oh. you know who else
2: liked wagner yeah, yeah okay <laughs> good it it
3: good <laughs> after the composer
2: right oh I didn't okay oh, so that is uh, that is Hitler's fourth appearance in the podcast <laughs> there's
4: gonna be another one because. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> Tangentially, tangentially, because um, because obviously he then uh, he left the scene, but the Wagner group is still very much around um, and uh, they are doing a lot of horrible things around the world, particularly um, parts of Africa, Mali, Central Af- African Republic, uh, Sudan particularly. There's been seven coups in that part of Africa since 2020. Big part of it is gold mining, back to gold. Um, apparently, they're spending so much time in... That part of Africa, they started calling themselves the Africa Corps after the Nazis. <laughs> so um, after Christ. the Rommel um, army in from the Second World the, War. So gold the thing is, is nobody. Gold is obviously the theme. Yeah. of the episode. Well, gold, and gold is important for Russia because of sanctions. So, because and they, you know, and they're putting a huge amount of effort into getting more and more gold out of these mines because they can then get around sanctions. Because everyone needs gold.
2: That's interesting. The way that Russell Brand promotes. Uh,
4: are you saying that he's the next head of the Wagner precious group? <laughs> metals. I'm just saying it's interesting. Can I, Just one quick thing, which I, I hadn't heard this um, until I looked into it again today, but Putin said a couple of months ago after he after Prigozhin died, he said it's possible that the way he died would have, um, that grenades may have been detonated whilst being handled by Wagner mercenaries who were drinking or using cocaine stupidly on the plane. Unfortunately, he said, no examination was carried out for the presence of alcohol or drugs in the blood of the victims. In my view, this should have been carried out, but it wasn't.
2: Oh, man. What a they shame. We really missed a, it. We missed it. It's a bit like all the, the falling out of windows. Yeah. You know, it just seems to be probably there should be something about what, what neurologically connects, uh, you know, poor balance and the mishandling of grenades with opposition to Mm.
4: the great leader, Vladimir Putin. Yeah, Because there must
2: be something medical.
4: If I ever, yeah, if I ever, you know, took, and I'm not saying I would ever do this, but if I ever took on Putin in a coup, I think I would spend the rest of my life lying on the ground, (laughs) never getting on a plane, (laughs) never getting anywhere near a window. That's key.
0: But there was a conspiracy theory that it wasn't him on the plane and that it was somebody else and this is actually very useful for him because now everyone thinks he's dead. He can change his name, get plastic surgery, and. so I'm just going to throw that out there for those who want a little bit of balance
2: that sounds no that sounds totally legit Uh, I will subscribe to your YouTube channel
1: (laughs) (laughs) buy gold buy gold
2: Rachel Rachel, as if to pull everything together all the different (laughs) threads uh, of the world in 2023 Elon Musk
0: yes who has been my villain of the week more than once throughout the year (laughs) And 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 is now my villain of the year
2: unstoppable
0: well uh Twitter still exists, so, you know, there's that. Um, he's my Villain of the Year anyway because of what he has done to Twitter, which is a social media platform that I absolutely loved, and not just <clears> because <throat> I just got to 40,000 followers at the point that it all started collapsing. Um, and it hasn't been the explosion, the implosion, I guess, that people expected, but it has been a sort of drip, drip, drip of this is worse and worse and worse. So first they let people buy you blue ticks, which was annoying and weird, uh, but fine. Then they took away the blue ticks of anyone who wasn't paying for it. So now a blue tick means the opposite. You absolutely cannot trust this person because they have handed their bank details over to Elon Musk. Mm. then he rebranded it as X. It's not Twitter anymore. It's X. It the X, is, it, it, is it, is it is Twitter. It is Twitter. Which is this? I looked it up that um, tw- tweet to tweet became a verb uh, in the. It was the Oxford English word of the year in uh, 2014. So it's nearly 10 years. People have been like, that's amazing brand recognition. Totally nixed that. Um, uh, but more than that, it's about. Um, encouraging the monetization of hate speech, conspiracy theories, like the... Trista keeps asking me to sign up for Twitter Blue, saying that I could make money off my tweets, which obviously I'm not going to do. But the people who are doing that, it's an industry now. Mm. You can see it. You can see how content has gone from this fun place that people used to chat and share stories, and you could actually go for like expert information. Now it is a platform where there is a business case for saying the maddest shit possible and monetizing it, and that is what it pumps into your feed. And the whole thing just. Is just very depressing and sad to use. And he's let a whole lot of people back on it. Casey Hopkins, Tommy Robinson, yeah, yeah. Uh, Donald Trump, who ironically doesn't want to come join Twister because he's got his own social media network. And there's been all Even kinds of... Even
4: Alex Jones the other day.
0: Is um, he back? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. He's back.
4: Well, yeah.
2: I think Elon Musk is, a, is an interesting case study in the taxonomy of the right, uh, is that... If your Miriam Cates and your Danny Krugers and and even your Mike Johnsons are kind of, they've got this kind of religious fanaticism to their their beliefs, that there is a sort of consistency. Elon Musk is somebody that was sort of not particularly political. I wouldn't say moderate, but not extreme. And all the positions that he's assumed in the last like 18 months, pretty much, tell you what the kit is now. And it isn't necessarily that much sense. So, you know, you're a bit weird, a little bit weird about COVID and, and, and lockdown. Uh, you don't like Ukraine. You don't like trans people. It's all a big sort of jumble. And I, in a way, I think he's a more representative figure of what right-wing politics is now. It's the
0: definition of anti-woke. Although, interestingly, I love this. He can't go too far and too hard on climate change isn't real because his main business is selling electric cars and solar batteries. So he has to... He's he's often asking questions when it comes to the the climate sceptics, but he can't you know, fully denounce the fact that climate change is happening because his fortune is built on it, which I find this sort of delicious irony (laughs) in all the other madness that's going on. I wouldn't trust him, like, to send me to Mars. Though That's that's what the last year has taught me. No, it's kind of amazing how much of his business
2: was sort of built on trust Mm. and a sense that he had a a very big and clever brain
0: and being quite cool like people wanted a tesla because like he was this cool figure who mm. was going to revolutionize space travel um and and now it's sort of the opposite
3: so in a recent yeah. in a recent survey um the america's most hated companies The three of the top five are the trump organization the fox corporation and twitter Wow. And, and wow. what will and what will annoy him most about that is that it's still Twitter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that didn't stop Rishi Sunak, actual Prime Minister of the actual United Kingdom, yeah. doing a. Q&A interview session where he basically asked Musk questions that amounted to, how are you so awesome? And it was one of the weirdest political was, events that I've ever seen. It was seen. like he was
2: interviewing like Elon Musk from like 2016, yeah. when he'd been like in an Iron Man movie and yeah. Tesla and SpaceX were really successful. Not this absolute electric car crash Of a human being that we have seen for the last two years
0: and also the prime minister shouldn't be interviewing an entrepreneur about like that should not have been the setup i think it was originally going to be somebody else interviewing both of them and then it was going to be they were going to ask each other questions and like elon musk is ever going to ask what she said elon musk doesn't know who she is
4: (laughs) who are you (laughs) who's this guy is he one of my engineers
1: i don't know
2: (laughs) i think should have had russell brand moderators (laughs) that's true and just pulled everything together Or the ghost of Hitler. (laughs) This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence
3: Fishburne jackie weaver cleopatra coleman and ed o'neill
1: fx is clipped now streaming only on hulu at evernorth health services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way
4: of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best it's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder.
2: And that is the show. Thank you and happy holidays to Alex. Thank you. Rachel.
0: Thank you. And
2: Matt. Thank you. Stay tuned for the extra bit after Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop and a salute to our supporters. You too could get the podcast early without ads plus lots more if you search Oh God What Now Patreon. This is our last edition until Friday the fifth of January or a little earlier if you're a Patreon backer. In the meantime, if you need to scratch your podcast itch over the festive period, there are new episodes of Paper Cuts, The Bunker, and our new science show Why coming out every couple of days over Christmas. Or why not binge on the fourth season of the podcast Origin Story featuring ian dunt and another bald man it's very good thank you alex also buy gold and silver (laughs) it's reliable (laughs) merry christmas and a happy new year from all
4: of us at oh god what now and thanks for your support season's greetings and god bless you everyone to sam ashworth jane and mugs vernon
0: Hello, huge thanks and happy Christmas from me to Steve Fulman, Claire, and David Wood.
3: to neo from me to David Wallace, Caroline Barker, and Jamie Bachelor.
2: And it's a uh, oh come back, all ye faithful, to some of our lapsed backers who have re upped their support Doug Young, Martin Robson, Kate Thorsteinson, and Michael McCluskey. See you next
4: year. And sorry off. to Mike Johnson. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and apologies to all the Mike Johnsons.
3: <laughs> oh God, What Now was... Yep, sorry, I'm wearing a jumper with lots of bells on. Oh God, What Now was presented by Dorian Linsky with Alex Andreu, Matt Green and Rachel Cunliffe. The group
2: editor was Andrew Harrison. The managing editor was Jacob Jarvis. And the producers were Chris Jones, Simon Williams and me, Alex Reese. Socials by Jess Harpin and Mike Bollin. Art Direction by James Parra and Mark Taylor. Oh God One Now is a Podmaster's production. Welcome to the Extra Bit, exclusively for Patreon backers. This week we're discussing our Christmas traditions, the ones we love and the ones not so much. Rachel, you celebrated your first Christmas in 2020.
0: Which was a really bad year to celebrate your first
2: Christmas. <laughs> you you must have thought that it was a rather quiet... <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was really sad because I was really looking forward to it because we all thought COVID was over at that point and then it became increasingly obvious that COVID was not over. All of the things that we'd planned to do got shelved.
2: Still Still not um, over. So... <laughs>
0: Well, there, there, there is that. Um, but yeah, um, I'm Jewish. We celebrated Hanukkah. My parents were very clear that Christmas was great, but it wasn't for us. We didn't have a tree. We didn't do anything. Um, and... I had a really quite vicious row with my university housemate one year when she wanted a tree, and I went like, "I don't do trees. Like, go back to your parents and have a tree there." Which is like, thinking about it, I was a hundred percent in the wrong there. <laughs> so, um, if she's listening, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, and you actually my- cancelled Christmas. Mate. <laughs> Okay term finished on the 10th of December so we were moving she was going back on the 10th of December so as far as I was concerned she wasn't gonna do Christmas in our university house anyway but I was I was still wrong um but it was a it was very much a sort of sticking point and then my partner moved in with me and he's got two small kids who are with us half the time and there was sort of no question about it like they had a Christmas tree mm-hmm. in they mum's house. They're having a Christmas tree in our house. I was going to get on board with it. And my university housemate sent me a bauble for the tree that had a Hanukkah menorah on it as a kind of of dig at me, but also a a way to sort of marry the two Mm. festivals. Um, And then I went, because I don't do things by halves, I went, okay, Christmas, cool. What do we do? How can we do this in like the most intense <laughs> way possible? So uh, eggnog, carol services. Oh, that Christmas, that 2021, he cooked a full Christmas dinner, like turkey and all the trimmings for the two of us because there was just wow. us. Um, eggnog. I discovered eggnog and I was like, this is the best thing ever. Why do we not drink it the entire time? Muppets Christmas carol. The only thing that I still hate is Christmas pop music. I like the old carols, uh, I like the the kind of traditional ones, but I like the, the sort of fifteenth time I hear "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree." I just want to strangle DJs everywhere. That's not very Christmassy, is it? No, I think that's no, very no, no, that's common, fair enough. Actually.
2: I, I um, worked in Woolworths one Christmas, um, and. Uh, you know, when you're working in a in a in a shop, and they just play the same songs again and again and again, and the ones you like, because the way the relationship I have with music is, I can't just tune it out, and so I have to listen. So the stuff you like, you really love. So if someone like you road test it, so someone like Tale of New York," I've listened to, I've heard a million times, I still love it. It still moves me. There's still new wrinkles in it. Uh, "Wonderful Christmas Time" by Paul McCartney, <laughs> much though I love Sir Paul, uh, and it's a good-natured ditty like drove me insane. And still now when I hear it, there's this kind of like twitch, this kind of PTSD you're kind triggered. of... Yeah. And it's just, like, oh, Jesus Christ, not that one. So I... Because the thing about Christmas is it's very samey. Like that's sort of the point, right? And it's like, ah, you do this and you do that. And, and every now and then someone's just got, you know, they come up with a new way to eat sprouts or whatever. Um, but, you know, every year, like as a journalist as well, you're just like... Ah, okay. So now we've done is Die Hard a Christmas movie. So now what we get is move over Die Hard, is this a Christmas movie? Well, all, all the problematic
0: some... things about Love Actually. Right, <laughs>
2: or move over problematic things about Love Actually. Now it's problematic things about the holiday, the Nancy Myers movie. Um, and so every now there's, there's every now this slight incremental change where it's like I'm roasting my sprouts this year. And I'm watching um, Die Hard 2. <laughs> and this is the sort of progress.
0: Well, the the, the the controversy this year, according to Twitter, sorry, Elon Musk, not ex-Twitter, is Christmas lists.
2: And that was a teaser for the bonus bit of this week's podcast. If you'd like a little bit more, oh God, what now in your stocking every week without ads and a day early, then do yourself a favour and sign up to back us on Patreon for as little as £3 a month. You'll also get our exclusive weekly minicast, oh God, what else, every Monday morning, and some merchandise offers, including at the moment a Christmassy mug. Thank you for listening and see you in 2024.